Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 13, and 1 Peter chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord from Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. From Hebrews chapter 13. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. From 1 Peter 5, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to come into your presence and worship you. You alone are worthy of all honor and glory. And we pray that you would let us be sensitive to your presence here. Give us ears to hear you, Lord, speak. Holy Spirit, come and have your way and transform us, making us a little bit more and more into the image of Christ today. Jesus, we pray that you alone will be glorified and that our thoughts, our hearts, our all would be surrendered to and centered on you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, German theologian, pastor, and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words. He said, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And Bonhoeffer's right. We do not create the family of God. We simply participate in it But how we participate in it is quite important, and that's what we're talking about today as we conclude. We've been in this short series we've called Family Matters, wherein we've been looking at the things that we commit ourselves to as members of the body of Christ and five vows that we take, and the passages that Alan read just a moment ago, I will not have the opportunity to exposit them 
uh, individually as I normally would. I started putting that sermon together, and it was about 50 minutes. So I will simply reference them in different ways this morning, and next week we will get back to more expository. So, but if you have any questions, you can see me later. The vow that we look at today as we wrap up this series is this one, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Now, some of you, you read that, you hear it, and you think there's dirty words in that vow. Three in particular that some of you would think are dirty words, submit, government, and discipline. These things have baggage for a lot of different reasons. They conjure all kinds of images. They well up different feelings within us as we uh, say them. We don't like these words, particularly like submit and discipline, because we live in a society that regularly denigrates authority. No one can tell me anything. Be your own authority. Decide what's right for you. Be true to yourself. Don't worry about being true to what's true. (laughs) Our society denigrates authority regularly, and so we can adopt that in numerous different ways. But these words also carry baggage with them because, let's be honest, there's been a lot of abuse that's happened in association with them, particularly by the Christian community. And submission can easily get twisted into what can be referred to as domineering. Government, I don't even need to address. Discipline, in a spiritual context, has often either been ignored altogether or, on the other hand, used like some kind of a club or hammer where it's not a middle ground, humble call of one sinner saying, I understand, and I humbly call you back to Christ. And so, because of the abuses associated with these terms, it's easy for us to put up all kinds of defenses and not hear. So, what I'm asking you, if you can, just try and disassociate from some of the negative things that are often associated with these things, and hopefully we can hear them together in the context intended for the church of Jesus Christ. And before unpacking this vow itself, as I was studying this this week and thinking about it, I thought it's helpful to me at least to understand what lies behind this vow. Because the context of us saying that we submit ourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its period and its peace all centers around the context of community. And if we were teaching and I had more time, I'd unpack this a little more fully for you. But as you read the Bible, one of the things you'll see from the Older Testament through to the Newer Testament is that there's two basic societies in the world, two basic communities, the city of man and the city of God, the community of man, the community of God. And these things are at odds with each other. And you see this in all kinds of ways. A lot of the story of the Old Testament leading up to what happens with the coming of Jesus Christ is the story of the community of man in opposition over against the community of God. And and here's, and and I'll just reference these briefly, but 
if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 4 again, okay, so God created us to live in perfect community with Him and with each other. And sin ruined all of that. And then very shortly thereafter, we see the first murder where Cain murders his brother Abel. And what's interesting is right after that murder in Genesis 4, it says Cain started building a city, a community, one of the first communities that's centered over and against that which God has created. And the, the, the theme that you see woven throughout the community or the city of man is that these things are built for man's glory, for man's name, in honor of man's greatness with no regard to the Lord Himself. You can fast forward a little bit. That's really played out in the story of the Tower of Babel, which is actually about a city in which there was this great tower. And the city was going to make a great name for itself by erecting this tower in honor of the community that they had built. You can fast forward even forward, you know, uh, further, and you see God's people Israel become slaves in Egypt. And what are they doing? They're building a community on behalf of somebody else. And the whole story of the plagues and everything, it's showing God's power against the gods of Egypt and the community of God versus the community of Israel, I mean the community of Egypt that have been set up. On and on this goes throughout the Older Testament. Uh, and you get into the later part of the Older Testament when there's this great tragedy where the community of God literally gets exiled into the community of man in Assyria and Babylon. And there's hopelessness and all, and all kinds of things. So you see, and we could, we could point out in all kinds of ways, the Bible talks about there's two communities, the commu- kind of community that man makes and the kind of community that God has created, and they're radically different. And you see, the context of the church is the same as the context that, that was given to Israel, which was this, God has created a community that is meant to show the community of the world something radically different. And we're actually called to show the glory and the values and the person of the one who's put us into community, where it's no longer about us, it's about Him. You see, because this gets at what kind of a community we will be, and you can apply this to any local church, but it's true of the church of Jesus Christ around the world, the visible church, what kind of a community will we be and whose glory will we reflect? You know, if you're a member at Stonebridge, honestly, the name of Stonebridge doesn't matter a rip. Yeah, I love this place. I love you guys. But we're not about making Stonebridge's name great in the community. We're about making one name great, the name of Jesus Christ in the community. Now, we are inseparably linked in different ways. But at the same time, you know what? 200 years from now, Stonebridge may not be here. And that's okay, because it's not about building a great name for the church. You know that the seven churches in Revelation, none of them exist today. That's okay, because the Lord works and moves at different times in different ways in different communities, but it's all His community. So we're not about making Stonebridge have this great legacy or build this great name. We're simply about being a community that reflects the glory and the person of the one who's made us. And that's what this fifth vow gets into. You know, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, says, 
he likens the church of Jesus Christ to shining lights in the universe. Sometimes translations will say you're like shining stars. Well, it's not really stars, it's lights. And the word shine literally in Greek means to reflect because it's, it's, not that, it's not that you and I or the church of Jesus Christ generates its own light. We simply reflect the light of God that shines on us to a watching world, and that's why this is so important. You know, the, the technical term, if you study astronomy, is albedo, which is the measurement of how much sunlight a celestial body reflects back. So just to give you an example of this, Venus, which has the highest albedo of the planet's in our solar system, its albedo is 0.75, meaning that 75% of the sun's light that hits it is reflected back. That's why Venus is so bright in the night sky. Pluto, the almost a planet you know, body that's out there, has a very high albedo too of 0.4. And you can see it when it's crossing the night sky. And if you look closely at the planet Pluto, you can see where it got its name just by the image there. And then... Our moon, it has an albedo of 0.12, meaning that 12% of the sunlight that hits it gets reflected back to us, which is quite amazing because you know the moon can light the darkness around us when it's out, and it only is shining back 12% of what's hitting it. Part of that's because of its closeness and proximity to us. Here's the point. The community that God has made his church, his people, you and me, Stonebridge here, I'll talk to us in particular, we have a spiritual albedo, meaning we have a level of reflectivity in how well we show a watching world the light of Christ. As that light shines on us, we are called to better and better reflect that light back. So that's the goal. You know, you can take this to a personal level. You have a spiritual albedo. As the light of Christ shines on you, you reflect it back. And the goal of the church, the community of God, is to better and better reflect with greater clarity and brightness that light that's been shown on us. This is the context. We're about a community created by God to show a watching world just how wonderful and glorious and beautiful He is. So, with that in mind, let's look at the vow. We are called to submit to two things and study two things. The two things we submit to are the government and discipline of the church. Hebrews 13 said this, "'Have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account.'" Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, all churches have a structure of government. There's not a church that exists that doesn't have some governmental structure. That's just how all churches run. It's what's called polity, the political system of a church. Presbyterianism isn't just the name of a denomination or a or Presbyterian theology, Presbyterianism is actually a description of a type of church government that's out there. And the easiest way to think about that is this. In a Presbyterian form of government, you have elected representatives who manage on behalf of the church. Here's how that works. Jesus is the head of the church. 
He is the chief shepherd of the church. And what Paul does, what the book of Acts does, what you see the New Testament does, is calls for when a church is established, there are, Jesus is the chief shepherd, he's the head, but the church is called to appoint and elect under-shepherds that serve on behalf of Jesus. And these people are actually supposed to be people who look a lot like Jesus, hopefully. They reflect His beauty, His values, His care. They're called to shepherd and give their lives away to the church body in the same way that Christ did in many ways. And so here at Stonebridge, there's an elected group that you guys elect and put into a position of government power. That means I'm not the pope of Stonebridge as much as I want to be. No, no, I'm really not. So I have one vote. I have one voice because I'm just one. You know, the church, I'm only here because you guys allow me to be here. You voted for me to come here and be part of this and to do what I do here. You can vote me out next week. Please don't. But I have one voice because it's an elected representative structure. So there's accountability, and there's actually a lot of accountability in the way the church is structured. Now, here is why this is such a big deal. Because Doug said last week, oh, yeah, you get to talk about government. How boring. Yeah, it kind of is in certain ways. This is where I think it matters, though. This vow is asking you, when you submit yourself to the government, basically this. Do you trust God to lead you and this particular church through the leadership that He has put into place? That's what this is getting at. Do you trust Him to lead you through the representative leadership that's here? So here's what this is not saying. This is not saying you're not taking a vow to never ask a question, okay? You are not taking a vow to never disagree with a particular decision, You are not taking a vow to vocalize a differing opinion. If you were, you would be in what's called a cult, not a church. In a church, your voice matters. You have a lot of rights. But there's a representative structure that makes certain decisions, and you actually want that because, you know, church splits and divisions happen for the most stupid of reasons over the most inconsequential of things. You remember Doug a few months ago told you about a church split that happened, and it was a course of a year where things got so nasty, the church literally split in two, and they traced it back to its origin, and the, the thing that broke the camel's back and started this ball rolling forward was the church had a potluck dinner. At this potluck dinner, in the serving line, one of the elders was given a smaller piece of ham than the young girl who came right before him. And that catastrophic event led to a series of events and ripple effects throughout the church where a cancer spread and divisions were formed and eventually after about a year, the church literally split. Now that's really shining the light of the glory of Christ to a watching world, isn't it? You know, churches split over paint colors and carpet And even, dare I say, Dave, song selections. You know, we don't, you know, we don't, you know, I know some of you think we do. We don't have a secret meeting after church every Sunday and say, okay, so what are we singing next week? And you you know, you vote and the highest votes win. It's not done that way. Sometimes we sing songs that none of us like. 
and that's okay. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's like, amen to that. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> you know what? It's good that we don't take votes on that kind of stuff. You don't want that because that's where division happens over crazy things. Do you trust God to lead you? And, and here's where it gets hard, when you disagree with something. You see, if we agree on everything all the time, this vow, it, it really is inconsequential in that regard. This only has merit and impact when we disagree. That's when the rubber meets the road with this. And it's getting at how do you and I behave because you know what? Every decision that's made here, I didn't necessarily vote for. And so this vow impacts me on Rick, how do you behave? But it impacts you as well. How do you behave when a decision doesn't go your way? You may have even spoken vocally for what you believe was the greatest wisdom. And you know what? The boneheads at Stonebridge, they chose a different wisdom. And so what this vow means is this. You don't go around gossiping about how stupid the leadership is. You also don't go around saying, well, you know what? I'm going to be a good member and I'm going to submit to all the bad decisions that are made here regularly. You, know, you don't vocalize that kind of thing. You, you, know, you don't engage in, you know, you look at the world. You don't start a protest movement. There are times in a church that that can be appropriate, particularly if there's heresy, particularly if the Word of God is being ignored and falsehoods being taught. Okay, but for a lot of things, it's inconsequential. And so how do you behave when a decision goes away that, okay, I would have I done that a little differently. That's what this is getting at. Will you pack up your toys and go home is what it's asking. Will you refuse to serve in a certain way because you disagree? Will you stop giving as the Lord directs us financially because you don't like something? Will you sow seeds of dissension? You see, because this is all about peace and purity and submitting. Christ is the head. There are under shepherds who seek to humbly serve and lead in different ways. But what we do in how we relate to each other in all the decisions, it actually matters. That's what this is getting at. It's asking, will you do the hard work? You know, most relationships and culture, they're disposable. You have a tiff with a board you, you don't like something in a school, just pull your kids out of that school, send them over here. You don't like something the Homeowners Association did, you've got all kinds. You can break off relationships. Most relationships are disposable, not in the community of God. And what it's saying is, will you do the hard work of loving each other when you disagree? That's what this is getting at. But the second thing that we're called to submit ourselves to is the discipline of the church. And boy, this is a big one church authority is spiritual in nature only. You know, we can't tell you a whole lot. We can give you spiritual counsel. We can't make you do anything, and that's good. Spiritual direction, correction, guidance is what lies behind discipline. Now, discipline doesn't need to be a dirty word. Actually, it's considered a benefit. It's a good thing. Let me give you an example, and this takes all kinds of forms. 
when we just have the, you know, we particularly have the reading of God's Word separate from the preaching of God's Word. Why? Because God's Word can speak in and of itself. And the reading of God's Word is actually a form of discipline for our hearts because it convicts us and corrects us and calls us back to Christ. The preaching of the Word is a form of discipline. Counseling meetings can be a form of discipline. So don't think that this is like some heavy-handed thing. You're thinking, well, I know it can escalate, and yeah, it can, and here's why. You see, when Peter led us in confession a little earlier, we are called to regularly realize. Remember the first vow we took, how we said we're all sinners who love to run from Jesus regularly. We want to find our identity, our purpose, our values, our love in everywhere but in Him. And when we run to those other things, that's sin. And so in confession, what we're doing is we're stopping and we're turning around and we're running back to Him. That's what confession's about. And experiencing, once again, you know what? He still loves you. His grace is still sufficient for you and He still welcomes you back. So that's what church discipline is all about. It's meant to take a person. It's kind of like that bulletin cover that's there today with a shepherd reaching out, risking his life to pull a sheep back. The great shepherd does that, but every under-shepherd of Jesus is called to do the same thing. It's to say, love me enough that you'll pursue me even when I don't want it. You see, I'll give you a for instance. There's a lot of things that can, where discipline can escalate. Here's one. And sadly, this happens in churches far too often. You get to a place where somebody is here and they're saying, I am divorcing my spouse and I don't care what anyone says to me about this. Most people that are in a marriage don't just wake up one day and land here. Usually it's a long series of events that got you to this place where you're saying, I don't give a rip what anyone tells me. I'm doing whatever I want. You see, it starts way back here. And if you imagine the stage as a continuum, it can start with something little like this. Your spouse says something to you that hurt your feelings. They took you for granted. They did something, and, and you were wounded by it. And rather than talking it through, asking for and showing forgiveness and reconciling, what you do is you, I, I'm just going to bear it. It's my burden to bear. She doesn't get me. He's a moron. And you start harboring this little bit of bitterness in your heart. Okay, it's not that big of a sin, but that little root of bitterness, that little lack of forgiveness, if left to grow, what you do is you find yourself moving down the continuum. And now you move from being hurt into a martyr phase where, you know what, there's a lot... I'll just use it since I'm a male. There's a lot of women who would be glad if I were their husband. Man doesn't know what she's got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Um, <laughs> and so you start playing the martyr card of a lot of people would be really thankful for me. I'm a good person, I'm a good spouse. I'm just not appreciated. And that starts growing in your heart. And you know what? It's hard enough to repent if you're confronted there. It gets harder here. 
But then you stay there and you move into this, which is you start looking around. Oh, you know, there's, there's some people that could really be a good spouse for me. Oh, if my spouse were just like her or her or her. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah. And you stay there. And then you move into, because you cross the pulpit and you cross a line. And it's like, okay, now maybe it wasn't sought after, but you found yourself in a situation where in a conversation you say something with a little innuendo. You flirt just a little bit, and you know what? The person responds. And that flirting does something in your heart, and something wells up, and you start moving into now you're thinking about this person a whole lot, and you're thinking about how they get me. They complete me. They understand me in a way that my spouse never has. And you see, and you're moving down this continuum, and you move into maybe you give an extended hug or you're flirting even more, and then one day you wake up and it's like, I'm done. And you see, you didn't just wake up here. There were a million little steps that could have been fleshed out even more. And so what discipline is meant to do is to say at anywhere along this continuum, turn from and back to Jesus. You see, as you move down this continuum, here's what happens in our hearts. Our hearts grow harder and harder the further we go down this way. Our minds, Scripture tells us, actually become more and more warped the more we move this way. And our souls get killed with every little step we take. And our hearts aren't just, in the example I used you, our heart isn't just growing hard against our spouse. Our heart is actually growing hard against the Lord Himself. And the church in discipline is meant to come to each of us and say, you know what? There seems to be a problem. Will you turn back to Jesus? Because He's the only person, He's the only source of joy and hope and meaning in life. That's what discipline's supposed to do. It's not like leadership comes getting all into your business. It's not a proactive thing, typically. It's usually a reactive thing. And you could give many different illustrations, but the purpose of discipline is meant to safeguard the community because the community is supposed to be pure so that the community can reflect the beauty of Jesus. You see, when we move that continuum, our spiritual albedo goes lower and lower and lower. Okay, if we had time, we'd go into Matthew 18. Matthew 18 tells us how we should do this in many different ways. We also, in this vow, though, I'm going to do this quickly, promise to study two things. We promise to study the church's purity and its peace. And what study means, that may sound odd to you, but literally study just means that we are going to devote time and attention to know, to work for, to seek and strive after these two things. We're going to know, devote time and attention, work for, seek peace and purity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, this is just one among many verses we could use, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind 
and thought. So what this part of the vow gets at is questions like this. Are you willing to work as an individual and as a community to know God and His Word so well that you can discern what is noble and right and true? I'll let you in on a dirty little secret. Not every book that's sold in a Christian bookstore is noble and right and true. There's a lot of drivel out there. And there's some stuff that's just flat out wrong. And so don't just, any book you pick up other than God's Word, say, well, it's, it's bound. And because it has a cover on it, it must be true. No, be discerning. Every time you sit under a sermon, you're supposed to be discerning. All the shepherds here, under shepherds of Jesus Christ at Stonebridge, they're always looking for is the gospel front and center? Is truth being told or is something else coming in? And that's a good thing that they do that. You know, studying the church's purity and peace means things like this. Will you refuse to participate in destructive gossip when it comes your way? Okay, I'm I'm letting you off the hook a little bit. I'm not even saying that you started it. I'm just saying when it comes your way, are you willing to say, give it the hand and say, stop? Not just walk away, but literally call it out and say, I'm sorry, this is inappropriate. If you have a problem with Dave, go to Dave and talk to Dave. Don't come to me. That's, that's part of Matthew 18. If he sinned against you, you've got to forgive him, but you need to go to him. There's actually a procedure for how we do this. You don't just cre- do character assassination in all kinds of ways. You stop it. That's protecting the purity and the peace of the church. It means things like this. Will you, are you willing to humble yourself enough that you will treat everyone else around you as better than yourself? You're going to seek to honor them more than you honor yourself. You're going to seek their good more than you seek your own good. It means, you know what? Because all of us in this room are people addicted to sin, that when we do that and we sin against each other, that I'm going to very quickly go and ask for forgiveness from you. I'm going to humble myself enough. I'm going to say, I was wrong. And I'm going to come to you and ask, can in Jesus Christ we be reconciled? And the, on the flip side is that, yes, of course. Asking for and showing forgiveness. You see, the church is a community created by the Lord, meant to be a beautiful picture of people who do these kinds of things. We willingly lay aside personal preference. We willingly submit to leadership in different ways. We commit to help each other turn from sin and to Christ, that we would be a group of people who so love the Lord that our heart's desire and passion is that as individuals and as a community here at Stonebridge, that we would, through our lives and all that we do, keep the purity and peace of this church so that it better and better reflects the glory and the beauty and the wonder of the one who saved us. There's an older movie called Drumline. 
I give it a six out of ten, but it, it made a it made a good point in one regard. I thought what it's all about is this young man named Devin. He's a hip hop uh, drummer up in Harlem. He gets a full ride scholarship to a southern university to be part of a marching band in their drum line. That's what a scholarship was associated with. And what he realized in this movie was that it wasn't too long in where he realized, whoa, this is really hard. <laughs> and being part of a large band isn't exactly what I thought it would be. And he did a lot of things wrong. Dr. Lee, who was the head of the band, gave all the incoming freshmen a manual they had to read about what it meant to be part of the drum line. He never read it. He picked fights, did one even during a halftime show. He, he broke the mortal code, created, you know, did the, the worst thing you can do, which is during a performance he called attention to himself, which was like number one no-no among anyone there. And so in this movie, there's a scene where there's Devin, of course, he's in the black shirt, not wearing what everyone's supposed to be wearing. Those are all freshmen there lined up. They're there for training, and the sophomores through seniors are all on the outside of the track watching. And, and three guys show up late that morning. And so Dr. Lee addresses one of them and says, why are you late, son? He said, I overslept. Dr. Lee didn't like that answer and said, who's your roommate? Because all the band members were paired up as roommates. And, of course, he pointed to Devin. And so Dr. Lee walks over to Devin and says, why would you let your roommate sleep in? Devin says, I'm not his mama. And so then Dr. Lee, not happy with that answer, then proceeded to tell the whole band that little conversation. Why did you let your roommate sleep in? This, he says he's not his roommate's mama. So Dr. Lee looks out at all the sophomores and up and says, what is our concept as a band? And they all shout out, one band, one sound. One band, one sound. He repeats, the Dr. Lee repeats that slogan again, and then he says, looking at all the freshmen, when one of us is late, we're all late. When one of us looks or sounds bad, we all look and sound bad. And staring at the freshmen, he said, so freshmen, what's the concept? One band, one sound. One band, one sound. I think it makes a good point to the church of Jesus Christ. You could say it any number of ways, but we have one Lord. We have one faith. We are one church community created by Him. Paul says in Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If the church would live that out, our reflectivity of our Lord would be amazing. That's what this vow is calling us to. I'm going to ask you to say it with me here, even though we've gone a little over time. And when we say this, here, I know when we, when we do uh, responsive readings, we, we mutter and we mumble and we, and we go super slow for some reason. We're not going to do that, okay? So here, here's, here's the idea. Let's go about this pace. We're going to say, we are the church who submit ourselves to its government you know, about that pace. Say it like you mean it. 
Say it in an emphatic tone. So, let's say this together. We are the church who submit ourselves to its government and discipline and promise to study. Lord Jesus, we can't do this without you. Forgive us for when we make something about ourselves. Forgive us for when we get petty. Forgive us for when we don't show your grace in radical measure to each other. Lord, I pray that your church around the world would show more and more the light of your glory. Lord, I pray that for all the churches in the Charlotte area, and I ask that humbly for Stonebridge, that you would work in us in a way that we would shine your glory back to a watching world, that we would show the community of man there's a different way. There's a place where everyone's accepted, where everyone's loved, where there are not haves and have-nots, where there's not those who are in and those who are out, where, Lord, we are all on a level playing field because we are all sinners saved by grace, and we have one Lord. Jesus, may our passion be to proclaim your name and make your name great. As we sing this last song, which tells the story of salvation, may it be so true in our lives that we can't help tell about you. Amen.